Welcome to the LSEG Sustainable Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Goodland. And in today's episode, we're going to be having a fascinating conversation with Richard Kelly, who is the co-founder of the Foresight Sustainable Forestry Company, and Claire Dorian, who heads up sustainable finance for the capital markets and post-trade divisions of LSEG. And the topic of conversation today is all about the new voluntary carbon market designation what it's about, what it does, how companies are going to be using it in the future, and the world of carbon credits and forestry. So it's really super interesting. Let's get straight to it. Well, hello, Claire and Richard. It's so good to be here and be chatting with you. And I think that this is going to be a super interesting conversation because what you're doing here together is super fascinating and I can't wait to get into it. So Before we get into the meat of the chat, let's just do a bit of intros just so we know who's here. So Richard, perhaps we can come to you first. Richard, tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. Hi there. Yes, my name's Richard Kelly. I work for Foresight Group, who are a sustainability-led investment manager. I've been with Foresight for about eight years. And for the last four to five years, I've been solely focused on natural capital, forestry and afforestation. And I co-founded that that investment team within, within Foresight. And in November 2021, I co-founded and now co-run Foresight Sustainable Forestry Company, PLC, which is the London Stock Exchange's first natural capital-focused investment company. And we invest in a portfolio of forestry and afforestation assets across the UK. In a little while, we'll dig into what that means in practice, but let's hear from Claire Dorian, please. Uh, Tell us who you are and where you come from. Thanks, Jane. So I'm Claire Dorian. I head sustainable finance in our capital markets and post-trade divisions at the London Stock Exchange Group, and really very much responsible for driving our sustainable finance strategy for those divisions. And, And those are the areas that are focused on the relationships and with corporate companies in capital markets and, and post-trade is the is the clearing business within the group. And uh, we have, you know, particularly three big things that we're focused on in our team. You know, one is about how we are evolving and developing our sustainability offering. So the green economy mark and the voluntary carbon market that we're going to talk about today and sustainable bond market. It's also the products and services, how we kind of the provision of data and how we um, utilize a lot of the fantastic data products and services we have in our wider group for the value of our clients in cap markets and post-trade. And then also the policy and engagement and convening role that we have. And that is a, a big focus when it comes to sustainability, because I know we all know this, but you know, a lot happening as of the UK, European and, and wider global landscape in terms of uh, policy developments that uh, need a lot of input. I've got to say, I'm I'm a bit kind of in awe of both of you at the moment because both your jobs are just like super cool and I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking about that. So I'm ready to hear more. So we're going to talk today about the voluntary carbon market. And, you know, I think there's probably lots of kind of perceptions and possibly misconceptions around what this is and what this isn't. But the London Stock Exchange launched the voluntary carbon market quite recently. And so perhaps before we start trying to understand that a little bit and understand how the Foresight guys come into this, Claire, can you just in a really simple headline way, talk us through what the voluntary carbon market designation is? And what is the main kind of objectives that it has? 
Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I could talk about this for a long time. So I will try and keep this as as short as possible. But essentially, we see our involvement in the London Stock Exchange Group in the voluntary carbon markets as a natural extension to the work that we're doing already in the group around climate and, and transition. Really, as we have a world where we've got a backdrop of regulation that's happening and changes in TCFD and more climate reporting and transition plans becoming mandatory and more net zero strategies being set by corporates. Now, the voluntary carbon markets absolutely has a role to play in that transition and, and decarbonisation strategies that are being set. So we thought that what we could do and participate in this market was to look at not the trading of the carbon credits, which is what naturally people think about when they think of the voluntary carbon markets, but focus on what we do very well as an organisation and the stock exchange markets is convening the capital and providing access to finance which can scale. Because this is really sort of what the, the voluntary carbon markets needs is more supply of carbon credits into the market to meet that demand that is coming as a byproduct of of much of the regulatory points that I was just mentioning. So so I'm clear about it and and everyone else can be. So this is a way to connect companies who might want to use carbon credits as part of their climate transition strategy where they can't reduce their own emissions with projects that are kicking off carbon credits as a byproduct, if you like, of their activity. So it's creating a kind of a bridge to get that flow more efficiently between those two and scaling up finance towards those projects. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, it's about using the power of the public markets to scale the voluntary carbon markets. So you've got renewable energy funds that are listed on our market. So what we have done with the designation is a set of admission and disclosures that sit in addition to the listing rules and the aim admission rules as well, that enables the listing of a fund or an operating company that's prime focus is about investing in climate mitigation projects that could potentially generate carbon credits in the future. So an investor can purchase into the fund or operating company, own an equity share, and then in time receive potentially a dividend in specie in the form of a carbon credit. Or you could take a cash dividend, but then that is the the value to the investor is that they have the opportunity to potentially retire a credit and receive that credit in the future, retire it against their emissions, trade it or hold it. But you've also seen the value on the other side is that actually finance is being channeled from the global north to the global south, where many of these projects take place. So it's it's had a, a, a key benefit here in terms of you know scaling and making the difference to the projects that are happening on the ground. Mm. Now, Richard, can we come to you? Because like you so rightly said, Foresight is the first designation on the voluntary carbon market in London, which is super exciting. It's uh, it's always good to be first. I, I'm kind of keen to hear more about from your side. So you're the you're the project side, right? So just give a bit of extra flavor about what does this look like in practice? What are you actually doing? How are you creating the credits? And also, why do you think this works for corporates and companies? Why is this better? Okay, well, maybe just start with what we're doing, first of all. So the fund invests in a mix between 40 and 50% into afforestation assets. And afforestation just refers to where we take bare land, typically sheep grazing land and pasture land in rural parts of Scotland, Wales, and Northern England. We acquire it unconsented, and then we put it through a development program where we secure planning permission, consents, 
permits, grants, and also register it with the Woodland Carbon Code, which is the issuer of voluntary carbon credits. And then we physically plant these sites up with literally millions of trees. Our current portfolio of afforestation assets is on track to see about 9 million trees planted over the next two to three years. And so when we register a scheme with the Woodland Carbon Code, they look at this new forest over the next 100-year time frame, and they have a defined methodology about how many tonnes of carbon this new forest will additionally sequester from the atmosphere. And for every tonne, they will issue us with one voluntary carbon credit. And upon completion of planting, they physically come to the forest and they verify that what we've planted aligns with what we, we applied for. If they're to align, they issue us with pending issuance units, which recognise the future expected carbon that's going to be sequestered. And then every five years, those same independent reviewers come back to the forest and they then measure how much carbon has actually been sequestered. And there's a conversion of those pending issuance units into verified carbon units. And it's those verified carbon units that can be used by corporates if they're retired, then they can be used to offset emissions elsewhere in their supply chains. I've got a couple of questions, in fact, lots. But in terms of the types of trees you plant, obviously, there's a bit of a biodiversity angle here, isn't there, in terms of it's not a case of any old tree will do. So tell me a bit about that. How do you choose what trees you should be planting? Yeah, so it's a highly bespoke approach. The right mix of trees is dependent on the specific characteristics of the land in question. And there's any number of, uh, of different factors which we consider from aspect, soil types, even landscape considerations close to locally populated areas. But we have a progressive view and we look to plant a sort of a biodiverse mix of both commercial trees, so conifers, which are harvested every 35 to 40 years, but also native broadleaves, which are never harvested and they're managed and they continue to grow. We receive carbon credits for both. Conifers and commercial trees sequester carbon much faster than native broadleaves. And that's because these conifers grow at a fundamentally faster rate. And so we do target a mix. We target a mix of commercial and broadleaves. And we're also planting many rare and endangered trees. At a fund level, we have three targets. We have a financial target, a carbon target, but we also have a biodiversity target so to protect and enhance the biodiversity across our entire portfolio. And we've planted thousands of, of critically rare and endangered trees as part of our contribution that we're making to enhance biodiversity uh, across our portfolio. I think that's like a whole other podcast, isn't it? Talking about the biodiversity metric of a forest, because biodiversity is so topical right now in terms of how you measure it. And yeah, maybe another one, Richard, for another day, but because that could take us down a whole different angle. But I mean, it's really, really fascinating. And one of the questions I have is, When you buy the land unconsented in the first place, is there ever a chance that you might not get consent for the forest? Presumably it is. And what do you end up doing with that piece of land then? Before we acquire any piece of land, we do extensive due diligence. So there's sort of two phases to that. The first is sort of a desktop review where we look at something like 30 different map-based criteria and we're only pursuing opportunities from a desktop view that we believe have a very strong chance of securing consent and being approved for planting. 
We then always go and physically inspect these sites again before we've even acquired them. And what we're looking to do is, you know, verify that, you know, what's physically there aligns with what our various maps suggest is there. You know, there could be some additional constraints, some archaeology, there could be some sensitive habitat, for example. We may need to revise our designs and revise the price that we're willing to pay the landowner. But yes, this is a development. The afforestation part of our business is development. We're buying the land unconsented. So there is, in theory, risk that we would not receive consent. I think the chance of that happening, we're buying sites where we believe there is a very, very low risk of, of that happening. I think what's more likely is that there could be, when we do so after we've acquired the land, we then do further surveys, so birds and mammal surveys. There could be discovery at that point, which may mean we need to revise the design. And that could mean that we consider, you know, we could either increase the level of planting that we'd assumed, or it may mean we need to tone it back. So I think the greater risk is that we might lose a proportion of the area that we're going to plant. But I think it's very unlikely, or it's a, it's a very low risk that any one scheme would completely fail to see any trees planted. Okay, good. Phew. Um, so coming to you, Claire, now, obviously we've just heard from Richard about how kind of rigorous the selection is and how thoughtful the planting is, et cetera, you know, and thinking about those three metrics. It does raise to the surface the question around the credibility of carbon credits. And that's something that's been grabbing some headlines in recent times around, as we see kind of an increase in the use of offsets and going through the process of, of bringing the voluntary carbon market to the point where it is now. Obviously, it's not a case of any credit will do. It really is about kind of making sure that those carbon credits are credible. So how does the London Stock Exchange voluntary carbon market designation really make sure that we're going for the best of breed? Good question. As you say, really topical as well at the moment. And actually something that came up when we were undergoing our public market consultation, you know, there was a question as to, are we going to, as the London Stock Exchange, monitor and, and verify? But actually, you know, that importantly, that's not our role. We don't have to opine on that or monitor or verify the projects. There are bodies that are already out there in the marketplace that do that. So there are recognised reputable industry bodies that set the standards for those projects. So we require what we set out in the emission disclosure standards is to say the issuer of the fund or the operating company needs to apply one of those standards to their projects. You know, and in the case of, of Richard and Foresight, it's the UK Woodland Carbon Code. And then they need to report against key matters on an annual basis. So it's the standards that they set out, the methodologies, the due diligence and the verification. And so the advantage really of that approach is that the standards are set and they're verified by independent bodies. And then the investors can understand the quality of the carbon credit based on those standards that are known in the market. So, for example, what we have said in the emission disclosure standards is that we would recognise funds and companies that are listed that have projects that are recognised by ICROA, which is sort of the umbrella industry, some of the, the standard bodies like VERA and Gold Standard and American Carbon Registry all all roll up into recognition under ICROA. And then ICVCM, as it becomes online and developed more in the future. So we have some flexibility around that. So that's important that we're leveraging what's happening already in, in the marketplace. But then also to your point in terms of confidence in standards, the fact that we're putting this all wrapped around a public market 
regulatory framework that's got you know all the admissions protections and processes through the FCA or AIM regulation. It's got disclosure obligations at admission. You've got the market abuse regime and ongoing disclosure obligations. We've leveraging the protection of the existing market framework, so that gives some transparency and disclosure. Seems seems like a sensible way to go, right? So I think in short, what we're hearing is that actually. There's some really robust standards going on here. So the London Stock Exchange VCM is applying those best practices standards, which is great. Turning back to you, Richard, why do you think this approach that we're talking about here is perhaps a a better version of what's existed previously? I think if we look at the options that have been available, if you're a corporate and you've made a net zero pledge, the focus is on decarbonizing your activities by 90%. And then for the unabatable emissions, the final sort of 10%, you've really got, uh, until now, you've had two options. One is to go and do a climate mitigation project yourself. So, for example, you, if you're a company, you could go and buy some land yourself and then establish your own uh, afforestation scheme, as an example. I think the challenge with that for many companies is it's so far removed from their core competency. Many Many companies wouldn't know the first thing about you know how to approach that what's the right part of land how do you develop it and also it's a highly illiquid investment you're tied into for for many many years so that's that's one option the other option is to go and purchase voluntary carbon credits and i think the challenge with that is that there's no centralized exchange for carbon credits at the, at the current time you're into bilateral negotiations with landowners and again that's a long way from the core competency of many corporates who this is a long way from from what they do day to day and so what this provides is a way for companies to buy shares in a in a vcm designated investment company and, and with fsf we have given our investors the option to elect to receive voluntary carbon credits as in specie dividends and we've confirmed a time frame for when the current portfolio of about a million credits will be distributed and what that enables these companies to do is firstly it, it enables them to secure their supply of voluntary carbon credits. And that is really important because there is a forecast shortage of voluntary carbon credits coming down the line. We've seen an exponential increase in the number of science-based net zero pledges over the last couple of years. And all of the demand that's coming down the track for that means that if you've made a pledge, you may not be able to, as a company, source a sufficient number of credits when the time comes. The other component related to that is the cost. Given this shortage of supply that's forecast, the cost of credits is forecast to increase by a staggering number, somewhere between sevenfold and a 31-fold increase in the cost of these credits by 2030. So even if you can get your hands on carbon credits, the cost could be prohibitive. Certainly from an LSEG PLC perspective, we've been buyers of carbon credits in the past and continue to do so. And and I think that you mentioned some of the characteristics of the existing model. I certainly think that the price and efficiency elements of this new approach are certainly attractive, I'd say, from a buyer's perspective. Companies will never have certainty about how many credits they will need in the future. And so flexibility is, is the key. And with the VCM, adjusting your future carbon credit requirements is as easy as buying or selling a share on the London Stock Exchange. And these shares are traded intraday and there's deep pools of liquidity available. And that level of liquidity just has not existed in voluntary carbon markets to date. I think sometimes it's easy to forget when something's been kind of bubbling along for a while and, you know, it's through a consultation, then it launched. It's actually only kind of when you stop and look back and you think, 
this is really cool. This is something really different, actually. This is a breakthrough. This is a breakthrough in voluntary carbon markets and, and our fight against climate change. And just picking up on your point about what the LSE has done around carbon credits, it's historically, for many companies like the LSE, it's a cost. You buy credits and you retire them. And that's it. It's a one-way cost. But actually, the VCM has completely turned that upside down. And now companies can invest in VCM-designated investment companies. They can receive a supply of voluntary carbon credits with a you know, a high degree of certainty of uh, of delivery. But in addition, they can generate a positive, attractive risk-adjusted return on their investment that's underpinned by, in our case, it's the capital appreciation that we're able to achieve by converting relatively cheap sheep grazing and pasture land into much more valuable commercial forestry at the same time. So it turns carbon offsetting from a cost into actually a positively contributing way of generating a return, but also securing a supply and and hedging away future carbon credit risk in a completely flexible way. And also in the case of what you're doing, speaks to some of the biodiversity issues and challenges that are also kind of becoming really top of mind for a lot of stakeholders, loving it, ticking loads of boxes. Claire, can we come to you? Because actually one of the things I'm keen to explore is obviously this is really early days and um, the foresight of the first organisation with a designation. But tell me where this could go in future, right? So should we expect just more of the same natural capital organisations or, or what are like going forward, if, if this is really successful, what could this look like in terms of the range of designations or or the range of companies and funds or whatever that are actually getting this designation? Well, you won't be surprised to hear we've got a big vision for this. And I think Richard did a great job then explaining you know, all the, the value and, you know, and kind of the excitement that's behind this. Because, yes, we are the first exchange to approach the scaling the voluntary carbon markets this way. And as Richard said, it has really turned it on its head. It's bringing much more transparency and disclosure in, into the market. But I think, you know, we also just recognise that, it, you know, this is early, it's innovative. So therefore, this is going to take time to develop. But success, what does success look like? I think really it is about having multiple different funds that are listed on the market. That could be sort of a mix of nature-based projects and um, we have some technology carbon capture projects because we know that the needs of corporates as those investors predominantly into the funds are changing and evolving. You know, some of them have chosen to follow nature-based solution projects at the moment, perhaps want to tilt that slightly in the future and, and might want to be involved in sort of a mix of projects that are in different jurisdictions that are close to where they operate as businesses. Or, you know, they might have a, a preference for investing in, you know, in, in solar or cook stove or forestry afforestation. So I think blended funds and, and multiple different funds is really how we would define what success looks like. And for it to be, you know, something that is a global market offering as well. We're not talking about this just needs to be accessible by UK investors. This is really is generally a global opportunity. And probably another one for another podcast. I mean, literally the list keeps on coming. I'd love to explore the extent to which ocean biodiversity could ever find its way into something like this? Because I know that that's uh, an area with huge potential, but yet it's almost like we really haven't scratched the surface of that. 
like we said, it's early days, but just to wrap up, I'm really keen to hear about what the kind of reception and the feedback has been like from the funds who are looking at a designation, but also from corporates looking at this as a buying opportunity. Tell me, tell me what, what's the mood music so far? I'll, I'll start off, but I you know, Richard, I know you've got some views as well, based on the conversations you've been having with corporates, but I think the mood music is very positive. But what we are doing is making sure that we are connecting all the different parts of sort of the ecosystem here, because you've got project developers on the one hand that you know are more used to being working in the voluntary carbon markets, not in the capital markets. You've got the fund managers more used to being in the capital markets, not the voluntary carbon markets. And then you've got investors that are at different stages of their decarbonisation strategy and, and offsetting views. So really, we're trying to make sure that we connect all of these different conversations that are happening to help in building this this pipeline and it's looking good for 23 24 notwithstanding what's happening in in a, a wider macroeconomic view I think there is genuinely a lot of interest in bringing together the project developers and and fund managers and you know we've got some pretty you know positive live conversations that are happening at the moment that I do believe will result in transactions on the market and and Richard from your perspective We've received a huge amount of inbound PR and media interest directly as a result of the VCM designation. Um, So it's given us a fantastic profile boost. In terms of conversations, we're focused on two areas, talking to climate and net zero consultancies. So these are advisors to companies about how they can achieve net zero. And we've had a fantastic reception with those companies. And then we've also been talking to end companies. And these are big blue chip names, you know, household names. We've got a pipeline of conversations that we've had and we're having with, you know, the it's typically the head of chief sustainability officer or head of sustainability at these businesses. And and the reception is, wow, this is brilliant. This really solves a problem. I think it will take some time. This is not something that will just overnight result in a flood of inbound investment. I think any decision is part of a consideration of, you know, what is this business's overall net zero strategy. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that we're tabling this as an option early in that decision-making process, you know, and then we're going through the due diligence process with with various companies. So look, I think it's early days. We're very much in education mode, but we're very excited about, about the prospect. I, I would maybe bat it back to um, the London Stock Exchange and, and, and Claire. I know they were considering using the VCM potentially for their own net zero ambitions. And I was, I was keen to ask Claire how um, those conversations are going over there. I think it's Jane said, you know, we have set our, our own ambitious net zero targets. We off, offset already. And I think it's something that we recognise as a group is becoming more of a financial function. It's typically been procured through Jane's team in sustainability or, you know, when we look at other corporates through their procurement teams or marketing teams. But we're absolutely on it in terms of working out what our emissions requirements would be and, you know, and the options that we could use. And I think definitely the fund route could be something that we'd want to explore in the future. I mean, I think, I think Richard, you've got to the point whereby it's like we actually, as the VCM was being crafted, there was lots of conversations internally about, well, would you use it? You know, is this something you would use? And the answer is yes. It is. <laughs> but like you say, you know, it's not buying carbon credits is not sort of equivalent to popping down to the supermarket. You have to think through the uh, the ongoing need and then kind of match your investment required. So it's a cycle. So that's why 
what I would like to do is, if I may, is I'd like to be able to have this conversation or an update conversation in a year's time to see how it's doing and to see how the kind of the range of funds with the designation have grown, but also how Richard, your trees have grown. I want to hear all about your forests. Um, I would like to come and see your forests at some point as well. Well, we'd lo- we'd love to have you. We'd love to show you around some of our some of our newly planted forests. Yeah, that'd be great. Brilliant. Yeah, field trip. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you so much. I feel actually I've increased my knowledge hugely. I'm excited and actually, dare I say, it, a little bit proud of the uh, what we've kind of managed to bring to the market. It's, it's truly innovative, and I just I just really hope that it grows exponentially from here so thank you so much i'll twist your arm and hopefully speak to you in a year's time and we'll see how it's going but thank you for your time and all the best bye-bye thank you so much for your time so that's it for this week's episode of the lseg sustainable growth podcast if you're not already following us then do give us a follow and rate us on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours if you have got questions comments or you want us to talk to someone in particular then drop us a line at fmt at lseg.com. See you next time.